to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's show guest is Charlie Hone. Charlie's an author, a marketer, and has worked with some of the greatest authors in the world, including Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, Ramit Sethi, and Tucker Max. He has a really interesting story about the power of free work and how he used this to land him paid job opportunities when he graduated in the middle of the financial crisis. He also talks about hitting a low point in his life where he was overworked and burnt out, which led him to realize the thing that he was missing the most in life was simply play. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Let's get on to the show. Charlie, how are you doing? Good, Jay. Good to be talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much. Welcome to the show. Uh, pretty excited to have you on, man. Um, it's been a while since we've uh, we've spoken, so uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to to uh, catch up and hear about all the good stuff you're working on. Me too. So um, I guess uh, let's let's just begin. Uh, you know, you have a very unique sort of uh, background. So maybe you could give our audience a little bit of uh, of background on you and uh, and how you came up and and sort of uh, and what you do for a living. Sure. So I am an author of a few books that sort of just help people with difficult pain points uh, quickly and easily. Um, for instance, with Play It Away, I help you overcome anxiety naturally uh, very quickly. Same with Recession Proof Graduate. I help you get into a great job without having to blast out your resume to a million different places uh, and sort of design your career. Um, I speak on those topics as well. And right now, currently, I am also head of author marketing for Book in a Box. It's a publishing company in Austin that helps people with great ideas turn them into books in about seven months. Right. Without having to write anything. Uh, yeah. And that's a pretty cool concept that I actually, I went through that process as well with your company and I had a, a really, really good experience. So um, for audience members that are interested, head on over to Book in a Box um, or or you could also listen to, I, I had Tucker on my show as well and, and we went through the whole process there. So you can, guys can look, listen to that. So, uh, and also you do a, you do a podcast there too, right, Charlie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do another podcast called Author Hour where I interview authors in sort of distill the best parts of their book in a conversation. So I just ask them like, Hey, what are your best, what are the best ideas and stories from your book in case I don't have time to read it? And, uh, yeah, that's what that podcast is. That's actually pretty cool. It's like, like, have you heard of Blinkist? It's like the, yeah, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> kind of reminds me of that. Um, so also for the audience, uh, listening, you know, I, I owe Charlie a large debt of gratitude because he was actually the one that helped me launch my podcast, uh, almost a year ago, I'd say. Um, that's right. That was actually my very first assignment <laughs> in a box because they were, they were like, I can't even remember what the scenario was, but they, they basically just handed me you as the very first thing to do. And yeah, we worked together for a while. Yeah, I, I just don't remember. I mean, everything from just even the name of my podcast all the way down to sort of the concept and then the actual execution. I just remember like it was it was like the week leading up to the launch. And I was like, there's no way we're going to get it done. <laughs> and I was going back and forth with you and and uh you used your internet wizard wizardry and we got it done. <laughs> so I was like, I can't believe, uh, yeah. Anyways, thanks. Thanks, Charlie. I, I really appreciate that. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it was fun. It was, it was cool to do. And I, you know, I'd like to thank myself for being on this show, for setting up the show to begin yeah, with. Yeah, there you go. So it's like very meta or whatever you want to call it. So here we go. It's full circle. Um, great. So, uh, so Charlie, maybe you could, you could tell us a little bit about, um, I know, you, so when you came out of, I, I think of you as a problem solver, not just because you solved my big pain point of trying to launch this podcast and, and did it extremely well, but you know, like you said, you've written a, a number of books that actually help people in a very unique uh, pain points in their lives that they might uh, encounter. So the first 
first one you wrote was Recession Proof Graduate, which was kind of a, it was, it was a, a byproduct of your experience having, I guess, graduated right in the middle of the financial crisis. Is that right? So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So I, like you said, graduated during the recession in 2008 and spent months applying to jobs that I didn't really want. I, I was just trying to get an entry-level job uh, at somewhere just to start getting experience, start being able to pay the bills and, and that sort of thing like every graduate does. And I applied to over 100 positions and no one really responded. Uh, I, was, I was ignored and I was lucky if I got rejected. And it was really not at all what I expected. And all my friends were going through the same thing. And, you know, we're not stupid. We have some connections. It, it, we're, we're capable people. So it was like really surprising that it just didn't pan out. And so I kind of hit a breaking point where I, I just said, look, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do for a while and just come up with my own job my own projects and stuff. And I'm going to reach out to people that I like what they're doing. I'm going to offer to help them for free for whatever they're doing. Maybe they'll say yes, and I can build a relationship or worst case scenario, I'll have a couple pieces to talk about in my portfolio because I, I just don't have enough experience or anything notable to get the attention of these companies. And so I started doing that and it worked really well. And, um, I, I started working with authors. So what, what was what did, what was your sort of target? Did you have like a dream job? Because so for me, when I graduated, uh, it wasn't during. It was a little bit earlier than you, but it was it was right during the tech bubble as well. And so I was kind of like the I got really lucky because all I wanted to do personally was go work in finance on Wall Street, and make a lot of money. Like so, I slid through the cracks. Literally, I think the the class after me, like no one was hiring. So I got really lucky. But did you have like a dream job or a targeted job? that you wanted to do? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's interesting, right? Like how, uh, before I answer that, Jay, I'm curious, why did, why did that matter to you? Did you grow up having a lot of money or no? No, not at all. Uh, I think that might've been part of it. You know, my, I, I didn't grow up poor per se, but you know, my dad was an immigrant to, to the U S he came over and was, he started off making like two bucks an hour as a janitor. Uh, he worked for Levi Strauss, the jean company in San Fran. Uh -huh. So he kind of worked his way up and, and, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't grow up poor, you know I mean? I, we always had food on the table. It wasn't anything like that. I don't, I think for me, it was just, uh, I just was thrilled with high finance and, you know, I sort of grown up watching movies like Wall Street and all the cliche uh, financing movies. And it was just something that I had to tick off the box. Like I had to go up to New York. I had to work on Wall Street. And so I targeted 100% of my job efforts to, to, to moving up there. So I wouldn't even consider a job mm -hmm. if it wasn't based in New York and you know, on Wall Street. Yeah. So, but I'm curious, like, yeah. So, you know, I think some people don't really know what they want to do, which is fine. And so they kind of do the spray and pray resume thing. Um, well, I would argue that people kind of know who they are, though. You know, you may not know exactly what you want to do, but you know what you value and you often know what your strengths are. You just tend to forget because you get put in a schooling system that tells you to focus so much on your weakness um, or your weaknesses or things that you just right. don't really care about. And it kind of conditions you into thinking, this is just how my life has to be. I just have to do stuff that other people give to me, even if I don't care about it, or even if I'm not that great at it, you know? So I think everybody, assuming they've been given ample time to, to, figure out who they are on some level when they're growing up uh, has those things that, that they realize like, hey, you know, I feel strong when I do that. I feel confident when I do that. And for me, I had a number of those things. Most of them were uh, centered around ideas. Uh, so <clears throat> taking taking an idea and turning it into its first iteration and, and kind of running with it. Um, so that's a lot of marketing. Uh, I was really good at communication, whether it was written or through video or spoken. So I kind of knew, I, I, I remember distinctly uh, giving a, a speech at a funeral when I was 15 years old and I was supposed to feel very sad and, and you know, 
I, I felt great. I was like, how can I keep doing that? That was amazing. That was so much fun. Um, so there, wow. there was a lot of stuff like that where I was like, I love editing video. I love uh, speaking. I, I love communicating and talking about ideas. And so the, the notion of going into marketing was appealing to me. And then I, I really loved uh, reading books. And so the, I was drawn to these people who had these powerful ideas of, and at that time I was, I was very much in, I, I, you know, one of my favorite movies was fight club and office space and, and American beauty had just won an Academy award recently. And it, it was that kind of cultural moment where everybody was like, fantasizing about ex- escaping from the rat race and corporate yes. jobs. Yes. And, and all those, all those movies are about that. They just play out differently. Right. Um, so I, I kind of had that as a fear of like, if I get a corporate job, I'm not going to be able to do w- what I'm good at. I'm going to be shut down. I am a very, like, I have to, I have to scratch my own itch type person. And I just didn't see any corporate job offering that. And so it was really frustrating to think that I was probably going to have to get that type of a job. So in a way it was, it was a big relief. Um, How, what role did your parents play? I guess kind of growing up, were they very supportive? Were they, you know, were they, were they educators? Were they um, authors themselves or how, how did they, how do you feel that they shaped you uh, from a young age, if at all, or did you kind of just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they definitely shaped me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they were, they were really supportive. Uh, they, they played a big role mostly by being there and just being good people, you know, to, to, um, to sort of guide me and they, they offered guidance when I would feel lost or make a mistake and stuff. We just didn't see, I, I didn't see eye to eye with them on some of the career stuff. Right. So for instance, um, when, during the recession, when I hit that breaking point, I thought, well, why don't I go work for free for people that I want to work with and do projects and stuff? And my parents were like, well, have you considered getting your MBA? Right. You might never go back and get it. And this is an optimal time to do it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I just don't No, There's nope. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> it, it's not about like, it's not about stopping learning. It's about not relying on a degree to get me to where I want to go. It's just that clearly that didn't work. Um, and then, uh, I just didn't, I, I believed that the money would come eventually, but if it started from a place of like, what do I enjoy doing? Uh, what, what, what activities get me in a state of flow or, uh, that feel really good doing it so that the, the reward can be intrinsic rather than extrinsic. So I think that was kind of the main difference is like, and, and that's common with all parents, I think, or older generations is they were like, what worked for our generation will probably work for you. That's right. And in our case with uh, it being the recession and also us having gone through the internet disrupting so many things and, and globalization and all this stuff, like there were some massive differences in how you could potentially get a job, um, that that they hadn't really understood or experienced and it wasn't being taught in schools at the time yeah i think it's uh well it's a little bit of a, a there's a certain level of maturity where you where you have to realize that going down your path you know i mean to this day i think for me i don't th- i don't know if I'll, i would be able to take that leap of faith and and be like oh well the money will come as long as i'm you know following the path that I think I should follow and, and doing, uh, so. Well, to be honest or to be clear, I should say, um, the money will come is a naive and stupid phrase. If there's no money where you're working, right? If, if you went into an industry or you were working with an individual who's broke, uh, don't expect money to come. But if you're, if you're going to stand underneath a waterfall, you're going to eventually get drenched, right? right? Like if you're working with people who have money, a lot of money coming in, uh, or in an industry where a lot of money is flowing, you're bound to earn money. It's just a matter of what, how, what type of work are you going to be doing before you earn it? 
Right. Okay. So your so recession proof graduate was essentially you detailing that your your sort of tactics that that you used, uh, I guess, coming out of college. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, so so maybe you can tell us a little of how like what you, what exactly you did to to get a job. And and I feel like uh, because it's you're talking about doing free work and this sort of thing, uh, the concepts are still very relevant today. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're in a recession or not, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, the apprentice model has been around for centuries and it's worked very, very well. It's, it's much more popular in Europe, but it's, it's the model of how can we generate more craftsmen in our economy? Because craftsmen produce phenomenal work and they're not simply just interested in the money. They're interested in doing great stuff. And so I think there's always going to be a need for people who care about learning from other master craftsmen or whatever, um, so, I mean, you, you asked, what, what was I doing to get those jobs? Yeah, like, so what, just for the audience, you know, that, that is maybe curious, uh, what are some tactics or, or how, do you, how does one go about uh, to harness the power of free work, if you will, mm-hmm. to maybe, maybe land a job that, where they're working with someone that they want to um, or, or, you know, further their career path, whether it yeah. pays or not, you know? Yeah, so I'll tell you right now, and I don't think I've ever explicitly said it this way, uh, but it's it's the truth. Uh, start with like who you want to become, right. um, and I I think uh, like even from an occupational standpoint, like who do you want to become? Not just who do you to aspire? Who do you aspire to be like? But what kind of work do you want to be doing and producing, and and work with that person? Because I never intended to be an author. I had zero, that is never, even after writing a book, I was, I was not like, oh, I, I get to be an author now, right? <laughs> um, it, was, it was purely because I was working with other authors and I saw that it was an effective way to communicate uh, important ideas that you wanted to get out there. So um, I, I think you become uh, like, like uh, I think Jim Rohn said, you become the average of the five people you associate right. most closely with. And I was working with other authors. And so it just kind of came, that behavior came naturally. But um, so initially I, uh, I did a virtual internship with Seth Godin. He'd opened that up to hundreds of people. Um, and then I stuck with it for the summer and myself and about a dozen others, he promoted on his blog. And uh, I started getting job offers that way. And I, I reached out to Ramit Sethi, the author and founder of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And right. um, he was also an intern with Seth Godin at one point. So we were able to connect on that. And he offered to do some stuff with me if I wanted. And I, I came back to him and I, I recommended that he do some video stuff for his site because he was really good on video, but he never did it. And it's because video at the time, especially was super cumbersome and tedious to edit and upload. And it was just a pain. Um, but I loved video and I had a background in editing. So I offered to do his, uh, some of that. And I, I gave him a free speaking demo reel just to kind of show like, Hey, I can add value. And then we started doing more and more stuff together. We, we worked on marketing his book together and then we did a bunch of other videos together and then we did an app together and this was all for free. That. No, 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 no. Like at some point I transitioned to, uh, either partnerships or getting paid for the work for all right. of them. And this is like kind of a natural thing to have happened. It's not like, it's not, uh, I, n- I never said I'm, I want to work for you for free indefinitely, but I was just like, Hey, I- I'd love to do it for uh, a month or through this project, see it through to completion. And then after that, I want to talk about a more formal role where I'm getting paid. Right. If it doesn't work out though, if for some reason we decide we don't like working with each other, that's fine. And we'll part ways on good terms, no hard feelings from me. And you can scrap any work that I do just because I was like, I wanted, I don't want them to have any excuse to not work with me. And, um, I just, I, I truly like, I wanted to give myself that out too, because maybe they were, I I didn't know what they'd be like to work with. So, um, so it worked out really well. Ramit, I did the same thing with Tucker Max, who I'm obviously still working with today. Um, 
but we, I, I ended up doing some marketing work for his movie for free. And then he offered me later on a, a paid job traveling around the country, shooting funny videos for a month to promote his movie. And that was <laughs> a super great. fun job. Um, and it also gave me, uh, again, more connections, more much, uh, a portfolio of work that I, I was, I, I thought was really fun. Um, and then both of those guys actually recommended me to Tim Ferriss. And with Tim, I, I made the same offer and he and I did some, uh, you know, basic work, entry level type work for about a month or two. And I, I offered to do it for free. And then he quickly was like, let's get you on an hourly. And, he, and then he was paying me hourly. And then a few months of that led to him flying me out to San Francisco to hang out for a few days. And while I was there, we kind of felt each other out to make sure we got along and everything. And that I was, I was a, probably just flew me out to make sure I was like normal. <laughs> and, uh, and then we, um, he, he made me an offer to work, uh, for him full time to help him edit and launch the four hour body. And I took that and we ended up working together for three years. And again, like all of these, relationships that lasted many years and or are still ongoing were the result of starting for free and and me coming to them saying this is what I want to do for you um, this is how it's going to help your business and I know this because I've researched your business you you contrast that with how the average person gets a job now they apply they say here's my resume with all my accomplishments in my gpa which no teacher care or no boss cares about right right no employer even cares that you got a degree um and they just say if you have an opening uh i will work for you when you give me my first paycheck you know right. and and you tell me what to do it's so it's it's not proactive at all it's spam it's not personal um, and it's not really valuable. The, the employer is thinking, I have to invest all this time and energy into figuring out how the hell I got, I got to train this person right. and, um, and get them to, to create value for the company and, and be an exchange of value, like a return on my investment. Yeah. And I've, I took all those barriers away. Uh, and I feel like if like if you're working or aspiring to apprentice under any sort of normal human being after you know a first free project they they would immediately turn around and be like okay and you did good work and you know they would be like okay now how yes. can I pay you or you know I mean exactly. that's just normal right <laughs> exactly and and it's like a psychological principle that's proven is human beings if you do something nice and generous for another human being ninety percent of other of of the recipient of that uh, gesture is going to reciprocate and want to pay you back, whether it's through, I mean, I remember um, Ramit offered to introduce me to, he, he was like, there's there's this author, he's going to be huge one day, um, you you guys should connect. And he introduced me to, and he was like, but only, only take it if it makes sense. And I started reading his stuff and I was like, I kind of get it. I don't fully understand it. So maybe let's hold off. Right. And it was Eric Reese uh, before oh, wow. he'd published The Lean Startup. And so um, there, there was a lot of stuff like that where these guys would go out of their way to introduce me to somebody or to introduce me to a new experience or, or a cool opportunity. And I gained all these fringe benefits that don't necessarily come from when you expect a paycheck right away. That's right. And you can't even, you can't put a price on that sort of stuff. You know, I mean, this, you, you couldn't pay for an introduction to <laughs> Eric Reese at that point. You know what I mean? So, uh, right. yeah. yeah, totally. Um, cool. That's an awesome story. Uh, and, um, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's difficult though. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you, you, you probably were advantaged going into this whole scenario because, because you weren't just like, oh, I want to just chase the money and, and get whatever job pays me the most. You actually were more focused on fulfilling your inner sort of scratching your creative itches and, and entrepreneurial itches perhaps. And that helped you have a more open mind of, oh, I'll work for free first open doors and then uh eventually you know get paid for it or, or be successful so um 
But I think there's lessons there for, for everyone, for anyone listening in on just just business, right? I think a lot of a lot of people just when they conduct business are too afraid to leave any money on the table and, and nothing gets done. And, right. uh, and that's detrimental. Yeah, I, you know. I, I agree. So th- two things to this point. I love that you brought this up, Jay. One, um, I want to be clear, like I wasn't just, you know, being supported uh, entirely uh, financially by my parents at the time. Like I was doing paid work uh, on on the side to, right. to make sure I could pay the bills and like get some financial, you know, like my parents were helpful, very helpful, um, but I was doing paid work so that I, I could get going in that realm, um, and support myself on some level. But, um, the, the big thing that you said is, is that this applies to business. And I completely agree. I've, I've seen free work be used. These same strategies be used by the biggest VC firms in the world. I've seen them be used by Jack Dorsey. I've seen them be used by Kevin Rose. Kevin Rose actually was able to invest in Square because he did so much free work. Like he tried to get in on the Series A round of, of funding. Um, or it may have even it may have even been the seed round, and he wasn't able to get in. And he was like, "Oh gosh, you know." Like he tra- he he reached out to Jack Dorsey and was like, "Is there any way I could get in?" And he's like, "No, I'm sorry, man. Like we had to close it." And so Kevin um, shot a video on his i uh, or not on his iPhone. It was like a high definition video of him using Square and showing people how cool it was. This was when Square just came out, and. Um, <laughs> And he posted it and he sent it over to Jack Dorsey and Dorsey said, you know what? I really appreciate what you did. Why don't we, you know, why don't we get you in on this round and we can find room for you because uh, this is really valuable. That ended up being his biggest investment to date. You That's know, amazing. Square is worth tens and tens of billions of dollars now. Um, so it, it's just stuff like that. It's like if you can, if you really want to make something happen, the best way to do it is to get started to to provide value so much value for free that they can't help but but keep the relationship going and this is this is not a crazy notion either like a lot of people bristle at the idea of working for free they're like oh it's slavery it's you know your your servitude it's like I'm choosing to work yeah. for free. It's not like I'm asking this person to pay me. Um, this is this is like to build a relationship of trust first, which is far more scarce than uh, people, I guess, realize. And the the most successful apps in the store. What is their business business model? It's the premium. premium. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you're giving them a sample. And you are deciding for yourself, is this a relationship I want to have? You know, because if I apply for a job for a, a company and I get through the interview and I'm feeling good, like, huh, I made it through the interview, awesome. And then I get to the job itself and I hate the job. What, what, what am I supposed to I just have to panic quit now? And yeah. then like all of that work <laughs> is just undone? You know, like this is a less committed, it's, it's sort of like dating, you know? It's yeah. a, a little bit less committed uh, effort and you you do a great job and... It works out. That's awesome. I've, I've heard from so many people who've used this to do the exact same thing. It's uh, it's very powerful, actually, if you do it. And, and I, I didn't know that story about uh, about Square. So thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, so let's let's move on a little bit in your uh, in your in your life in your, your very interesting life story. So you you while you were working for Tim, uh, you worked for him for three years. Uh, obviously, did a lot of really cool stuff uh, with him. Uh, but at a certain point, you kind of hit a low point. Um, which, but you know, I mean, I guess which led you to. Uh, to writing or to discovering uh, your the topic of your next book, uh, your, your, I guess your subsequent next two books. Maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, your your dark days there and how you what you were experiencing and how you came upon the realization that uh, you know play was important in in, in life. Yeah, sure. So, um, the I mean, we ended up working together for three years for a reason. It was we were having a lot of fun and we were doing a great work together. Um, it just it hit a point where I, I was put in charge of handling a, a big event. You know, my responsibilities had slowly, gradually escalated over the course of those three years, and then I was in charge of handling this this big event that 
the, all these A-list people in the media world were attending and had paid um, uh, top dollar for. And uh, so five figures per person to attend. And so I was freaked out that they were going to feel really let down by right. the event. You know, like I, I was feeling like probably how Ja Rule felt after the fire festival fiasco <laughs> oh, went down. Right. Like that's what I was anticipating in my mind. Like this is going to be horrible if I mess this up. Um, and so I was like, I, I really pushed myself for the months leading up to it. I was drinking five cups of coffee a day. I was waking up at six, heading down to the cafe, my neighborhood cafe where I'd work all day. I believe that night after a couple of drinks, come home, do more. Uh, go to sleep at like midnight and you were working you know, remote like you weren't like in San Fran working with Terry you were working at home remotely at the, at the I was home. I was working remotely yeah right. so I was in San Francisco but Tim was at that time often having to travel uh, for speaking gigs and stuff like that right. and so I was I was working pretty hard on my own and, uh, you know, my roommates and stuff, one of them was in the financial world. So he was pushing himself even harder. He was right. w- working. He was getting home at 1.30 in the morning and waking up at 5. Right. And uh, so it was just kind of normal. And what happened was a week before the event, I ordered some pills uh, that are designed to keep you awake for multiple days at a time. Uh, the, this was originally developed for military fighter pilots and now given to people with narcolepsy. Right. And um, so I took those pills for four days during the event secretly, you know, without telling anybody. And the event went great. But over the course of those four days, I'd only slept six hours, right. uh, which is your, your body's like designed for one hour sleep per two hours awake. <laughs> and I was sleeping one hour for every 16 hours wake. Jeez. Um, so that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back because when I, after that event, my, my body just started freaking out. Uh, it, it was, it just became rough, uh, to, to go through the day to day. And I ended up having to quit because I was just like, so I felt so fragile and there was just other stuff going on in my personal life that had me kind of freaked out. And I go into the details of what this feels like, uh, in the book and also online. Like if you Google cure anxiety, you can read the post that I wrote. Um, it'll, it'll show up on Google and, uh, what it feels like during that phase was, it was crushing. It was exhausting. It was constant dread and worry. It was a rapid heart rate. It was shallow breathing. It was, uh, panic attacks. It was just, uh, this feeling of paranoia. It was just awful. And, um, I, I struggled with this for a long time and just kind of kept it quiet. I don't think anybody really knew except, uh, you know, a couple people who were super close to me. I never outright said anything or asked for help or anything, but I remember my girlfriend at the time said to me, she, she just said one night, she's like, Charlie, what happened to you? You're not, you're not the guy that I met all, uh, those, you know, all the, you're not the guy that I, I met long ago. And I, I remember just kind of trying to avoid the, <laughs> avoid the question. And then finally <laughs> I just blurted out, like, I just feel dead inside all the time and I have no idea how to fix it. And I remember she started crying and I was envious that she could cry because I just felt so like emotionally blocked and hollow. And, um, it just it just went on for longer than I wanted, and I tried everything to get out of it, uh, everything that you know your doctor would tell you to do, or a book about getting out of anxiety, or a therapist, or or whatever. Like everything that you can list, I tried, didn't work, um, and it would work for a couple hours or maybe even a couple days if I was lucky. Then it would go back to normal, and. It sucks. It's, it must have been, yeah. I mean, for someone, especially like you, who who pretty much, you know, I mean, you're quite. I mean, you're you're a bright guy, and you probably have never uh, been faced with something where like you couldn't figure it out, right? Like even time, you know, after time and, and research and all doing all the normal things that 
science tells you you're supposed to do when you encounter a problem. Uh, I think for most for most guys like us, we we kind of feel like okay, at at some point I'll find someone or I'll figure this out. I just have to get through it, right? Right.、Um, so it must. I can't imagine what that must have felt like.、Um, you know, to be to feel so helpless like that, right? It's a, yeah. It, it felt it, it felt very frustrating.、Um, and ironically, you know, I I eventually learned it was like more of the approach, how you approach. Resolving a problem,、uh, an emotional problem is is important, and it can't be done the same way as you might approach、uh, starting a project or <laughs> running a business,、right. where you encounter a problem and you're like, "I can ram my head through the wall and beat <laughs> this problem into submission, or like be strategic and take it down." And like it was, it was different. It, there was you had to emotionally kind of reconnect and get in a healthier place. Uh, with yourself before you could make any real progress, and that's kind of what I discovered was、um, I was at my friend's apartment and I looked at his bookshelf、uh, and and found a book called Play by Stuart Brown, and I thought, oh, this is this will be fun and interesting, and、um, it was the I, I I started laughing as I read it,、uh, and I read the whole book in a sitting because it was like, oh my god, this is the answer that I've been looking for. Uh, this whole time, and I didn't see it because it's so plain as day. And the book is not about how to get yourself into a mentally healthier place. The book is about the biological reasons that humans play so much, and what it does to our creativity, and why we evolved、uh, to play when it's this、right. seemingly childish or. Uh, this this activity that doesn't seem necessary on the surface to our survival, but it's actually the most critical thing,、uh, probably apart from sleep and breathing. Right. And, you know,、uh, so it's what was interesting is reading about what happens to people and mammals when you deprive them of play, even if you give them food, water, shelter, space, and love. If you deprive them of play or stop them from playing when they start to to play,、um, they develop emotional and social handicaps. They、uh, grow fearful of the world, of their environment, of their peers. If their peers get too close to them, they'll start lashing out violently at them.、Um, play is like this hidden language where we learn. That we can use—it's this tool that we can use to say to other mammals, like, "Hey, I'm safe. Yeah, I'm not a threat." And you can see this in other mammals. Mammals will play with each other. If you played with a dog,、uh, I, there's there's stories in the book about bears playing with wolves.、Uh, this this bear who was hungry and hadn't eaten in over a week, and initially saw this this、uh, this dog. That, and he was going to eat the dog, and then the dog saw him and got into a playful stance, and started playing with him. And the bear returned every day for the next week just to play with the dog, and not to eat it. And so, it's like it's this release from stress. It's this way that we bond with each other.、Uh, it's just it brings so much joy into your life. And all of us play,、um, but a lot of us stop once we reach a certain age, and we don't really know why. Life just feels so stale and hollow. So I started introducing play into my routine, and、um, what I mean by that is, initially it was like instead of going to get coffee for a business meeting, I would go play catch at the park or go on a hike、right. with the person. And then it became more like, okay, how much can I add into my r- daily and weekly routine?、Um, so I was signing up for basketball, and I took improv lessons, which was really impactful. And I know. A lot of people have resistance to doing improv, especially anybody、yeah. who's struggling with anxiety. But it was really transformative、uh, because it taught me and reminded me that like being playful isn't about like being the best. It's not about doing everything right. It's not about making the the most money or being the most productive or or getting to a, a next level. Being playful is. Like saying yes to whatever's going on in that moment, you know. There's、right. there's this huge mindfulness and meditation movement going on right now, which is great. 
because it's encouraging people to be okay with whatever's going on in the moment and not to be agitated by anything that's going on. But that's what improv was for me. It was training me to do that. And it was more fun because I get to do it with other people and laugh. And so within a month of kind of just dedicating about 15 to 30 minutes of play every day, uh, I was back to normal and I didn't really feel any acute symptoms of anxiety. It just kind of disappeared and I almost forgot. I didn't, I almost didn't notice. I was like, why, what's going on in my life? (laughs) Why why are things like easy and enjoyable? And, um, and that, that was really the breakthrough. That's, that's amazing. Uh, and thank you for sharing that story. I know it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's, pri- it's a personal story, but uh, I think that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people that are maybe teetering on the edge that just, just don't realize it. You know, I, I, and I just, when you were saying all this stuff, I was kind of thinking about my own life because I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm on the other extreme where, where I'm kind of like too much focused on work a lot of times. And if, you know, I, I hate spontaneity if, if, cause I plan every minute of my day out, you know, that sort of, and I, and I feel like, um, when you were talking about play, I, 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 now I have three kids and, um, some of the, sort of happiest and, and le- least stressful times of my week are on the weekends when I can just play with my kids and not think about anything and not have an agenda, right? And just go with whatever they're spontaneously playing with at the time. And, uh, and I can definitely, I, I definitely know that it makes me feel a lot better after even just 45 minutes of playing with my kids. Um, and you know, like conscientiously, like putting the cell phone in the next room and just being with them. Uh, and it's hard to disconnect like that, uh, mm-hmm. from the digital world, but I think that it's, it's better for you. And I feel like it's one of these things where, um, people res- resist it cause they don't believe it. But, uh, once you do it, it's, you kind of, you kind of realize the power of it. Um, and I guess there's many ways to play, you know, like you were saying improv or even playing basketball or recreational sports, I guess is a good way, um, to get involved. Or even video games. I mean, this is, this is the, the thing that I, I really want to emphasize is like everybody's play history is different, right? right. And looking back on your childhood and what you did with friends when you had this free time that no one was judging you and no one was grading you, no one was paying you to do these things. Adults weren't telling you, you need to put on this professional uniform and go uh, play sports on this manicured field while we sit on the sidelines and film everything you're doing. Uh, no, like the types of play where you were in charge and you got to decide what were those things? What were the things that you enjoyed the most? And like, this is an exercise that's worthwhile for anybody to do at any point in their life, because that tells you who you are. And it's not about, um, it's not about status. It's not about being more impressive or making more money or all of this stuff that just like, doesn't really matter when, when you're looking at like a happier, healthier life. Um, it's, it's who you are. And so for me, it was those things. And for you, it could be totally different. And, and you're talking about your relationships with your kids. If your kids love to play video games, like the best thing you could do is to play those games with them and to not like judge them or tell them it's a waste of their life or anything like that. Like everybody's got different ways that they play and they're all okay. Right. So what are some, uh, are you, do you make an active effort every day or is it every week that you uh, set aside time to, to incorporate play in your life? I, yeah, so it's a, it's a really good question. So I think I, what I do now, what my wife and I do every week, we have like a quote unquote marriage meeting where we just talk about like some of the bigger picture stuff and like figure out how we can uh, improve our relationship and how we can support each other. Uh, in any way. And one of the questions we always ask is like, what do we have planned this week for our individual social lives? And if we don't have something on the calendar, we put it on the calendar right there. Um, So each of us ensure that we're doing something fun with our friends. uh, And that's, so that's like pretty intentional. Um, And then I mean, I, I mean, Jay, you, you warned me this would happen, but I have uh, a, a baby daughter now who like <laughs> yes. some of the most playful parts of my day are just interacting with her and uh, just trying to get her to, to laugh. And uh, I've, I was telling somebody recently, I was like, I never thought I'd say this, but one of the 
best parts of my day is changing my daughter's diaper at <laughs> 6 a.m. when she's woken me up. Uh, but like, it is so much fun and I didn't expect it to be. So, um, and of course I've got a, a dog who's extremely playful and has crazy amounts of energy. <laughs> and after this, after this call, I'm actually going to meet up with a friend to, uh, to the park. Awesome. So, um, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, I, it, it's good to sort of uh, have that scheduling. It, it's kind of like ironic because it's like I have to schedule play, but it you know I think again I think that it's uh, people are are better for it. So um, yeah, and and to that point, like that's a great point. If if you don't schedule it, it's probably not going to happen, right? Yeah. And, and if you find yourself scheduling it and it's still not happening or you, it's really tough for you to sync up with your friends to do stuff. Like let's say some people just are like, my friends don't really get into this stuff. Like I do pay to be in a group that is dedicated to play. Like may not be the ideal, but like, um, if you, if you pay, then you're committed to it and you'll actually show up. I want to talk about your latest book, which is called Play for a Living, which is a beautiful, beautiful coffee table type book, uh, which which you you crowdfunded, actually, and it, it did extremely well. And um, yeah, thank you for your support. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm, is it it's available on uh, for anyone to buy now? I just, yeah, I just got it up on Amazon okay. uh, within the last few weeks, I think. That's fantastic. So I, I just want to say that my favorite, actually my favorite part, uh, Charlie, of the book um, is at the end where you actually, it's kind of like a, a mini uh, index, table of contents or index of all the pictures of the famous people and you actually put like their net worth at the end of each, uh, <laughs> and at the, like for me, that was really sort of, it kind of like, it kind of like hit me hard because it was like, okay, all these guys, you know, that you have these beautiful pictures and, and quotes about playing, they're all like super, super, super successful by any metric, right? So uh, yeah. I thought that was really cool. So maybe you could talk about what the, the motivation behind this book was. And it's a little bit different than your other two books. So yeah, I, I'm so glad you said that, by the way, Jay, because there were a couple artists who were involved with the book who, who pushed back on that. They were like, why are you putting the net worth? And I was like, you got to understand, it's really important for people who are bottom line driven to yes. see that the bottom line can be so much bigger and they don't have to do it doing stuff that they hate. So um, this book, what it was, was uh, I wanted to make an art book with uh, societies, the people who've changed the world, the people who've really innovated and shaped our cultures, um, everybody from Thomas Edison to Bob Dylan to J.K. Rowling to Plato, um, I wanted to have a huge array of people who embodied what it means to play for a living, not to work for a living, which is a very Protestant mindset of like, we have to show up, we have to do these things, we have to. It's people who get to do these things. They, ch they chose to do these things because it gave them energy and it gave them, I mean, it's what they love to do because you hear a lot of like, obviously a lot of people say you got to find what you're passionate about, passionate about. And that advice always kind of confused me um, because that word is like, you know, I'm passionate about movie trivia, I don't really know, like I'll get fired up telling somebody about all this trivia about some of their favorite movies. Cause that, like I'll literally spend out. That's what I used to do when I was, when I was younger, I would just spend hours reading about movies and like how they were made. Right. I don't necessarily, you know, it's just, it was different for, for play for a living. I wanted to make it clear that these are people who treated their work as a game, as a source of amusement. Um, and, in, and they did it for the intrinsic motivation. They started with intrinsic motivation. And, uh, so uh, most people work for external reasons. Uh, right. Most of us work for pressure. We we have to pay the bills. We have to have a job. We have to be an upstanding member of our family, right? Um, a lot of... Or, uh, some people who are lucky, they get to have a purpose. They get to work because they have a goal. They have a thing that they want to accomplish. Uh, they want to put a dent in the universe. They, they have a mission, right? Um, so that's people who are like, I work for Tesla and I get to you know, work on helping the world save itself from us <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. I believe that the best work actually comes from 
doing it for its own sake, doing it because you just wanted to do it. And I think that's the root of all great work is like, that's that, those are the things that we end up valuing the most, whether it's music and comedy and the arts uh, to even philosophy. Um, these are all things that are rooted in individuals' games and they all start uh, from an early age. You can see these things in kids, the, the activities that they're drawn to, that they're compelled to do on their own because they just want to. It's fun to um, to show their work to others and give their work as a gift to others because then they feel connected and recognized and then they can go do it again. And it's fun to master that skill and get even better at it. Um, so that was kind of my hope with the book is just to show this different perspective that you don't need to, I don't know, be live a life of hating your job always and, and just waiting to get to retirement and basically right. waiting to, to you're always waiting, right? The people who's, who live in normal jobs are always waiting for the weekend, always waiting for vacation, always waiting for retirement. And I just, I hated that. I hate that. I, I just knew that was not honest, uh, for, for a long time. And so I, I wanted to, to have, a reminder that life doesn't have to be that way. It's a great reminder. And, and you, you basically, I mean, there's a bunch of different artists that, that you, how did, how did you even find these people to agree to, to doing the, the various, uh, sketches or, or, uh, art, art pieces for the book? Yeah. Um, it was, it was a really time consuming project <laughs> to make happen because <laughs> we, there were 75 quotes, so 75 individuals that we had to get portraits for and wanted to have it be... At first, I was like, well, what if we just got Creative Commons photos and dropped them in there and right. then we could crank this thing out? Um, <laughs> but it was just like, for one, it, it just didn't feel right to do the book that way. Uh, but two, it was... Creative Commons photos are terrible uh, for celebrities and, and public figures. So uh, we we decided we're going to... We're gonna make these the portraits. <laughs> we're going to do it the hard way. And we corralled all these people that we'd, we'd looked on Behance. We looked on Dribble. I think Dribble's one of them. Uh, we looked on Instagram. We, we just found these artists who were doing work that were in that spirit. And we we encouraged them uh, to, to participate. And we said right up front, look, this is... Um, we don't have money to pay you to be a part of this project. If if that's important to you, if that's like the number one thing, please close this email. Uh, the rest is not going to be of interest. And uh, but if you are interested, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it. And most of the artists like love that. And because awesome. most of the time, people try and finagle artists into doing free work, but they're not honest about it. You know, they're like, yeah. Once this thing works out, like, or or worse, they'll be like, oh, I'll get you a bunch of exposure. And like, I, I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to promote the book and certainly like, I'm not going to mail that in. Uh, but yeah, like, I can't promise you any of that stuff. What it, this book is about is, um, a manifesto for, and, and a lot of the artists believed in the message of the book anyway, you know, because they were right. like, I'm always having to tell my parents, this is why I do what I do. Yeah, and totally. uh, so, so a lot of them were really excited and happy to be a part of the project and, uh, some of the some of the art in there really speaks to that, where it's just like multi layered, and it's just it's amazing, really yeah. captivating, and so it's it it turned out really great. Yeah, you can tell the artists actually they put a lot of work into into creating each piece, so it's amazing. I uh, highly recommend audience members listening in uh, check it out. Play for a living. You could probably see uh, some examples of some of the uh, the great pieces uh, online if you just Google it or, or look on Amazon. Charlie, man, it's been so good uh, catching up with you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your amazing stories um, and uh, and telling us about your books. What uh what's the, what what are you working on now? Uh, anything that you want to talk about or, and where can people find you and connect with you maybe uh, learn a little bit more about the work that you're doing my pleasure Jay thanks thanks so much for having me this is a this is a lot of fun so um, what I am working on now I've got a few things kind of like in their early developmental stages I mean it, the main thing that people can kind of follow is author hour um, on on iTunes uh, which is my podcast uh, distilling those books but um, 
I guess uh, like I've started to give more thought to the realm of men's emotional health. Um, The reason is, is because after the Vegas mass shooting, I posted a piece on Medium that exploded. uh, And I don't say that to brag. I was truly like surprised and almost shocked. Um, I read it. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. uh, That it just made such a... uh, um, it just it went far and wide and it made an impact on a lot of people. And it's, it sort of made me realize like, man, these, uh, it's, these guys just like don't have great support here. And it's not enough to kind of just like call out these issues. It's, I should be like trying to, to solve these problems, these, these bigger problems. So I'm thinking more and more about that arena and just how to best go about it and i don't have any great answers yet but um yeah i'm I'm giving that a lot more thought that's really cool i I, i'd love to yeah i'd love to uh to uh stay in touch and see what follow follow what 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 ends up happening with that i absolutely think that you should do something i mean the fact that you after a tragedy like that you know i mean a lot of people threw up a lot of things online and social media, blah, blah, blah. But you actually took a significant amount of time and wrote a very, a, quite a long piece uh, that um, you obviously thought, put a lot of thought into and, uh, and it went viral. So um, you obviously, people will listen to what you had to say. And uh, I think you could really make an impact there. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, those are the big ones. Um, so, author hour. Are you on social at all, or, or uh... yeah, a little bit. Uh, just uh, search Charlie Hone on any of the platforms. That's that's uh, where I am. Cool, awesome, man. Thanks so much. Thanks again for your time. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, and best of luck, man. Likewise, you too. I mean, it's it's cool to see. It was funny when you first started this podcast because we were like, "Damn, how did he get this many great?" like people on there. Um, but you know, it, it was like, we don't know if, if he'll want to stop doing this after 30 episodes or whatever. So it's, it's really cool that you've continued it on with it and that it's becoming a thing. So congrats, man. Thanks, man. And, and you know, what's funny. It's, uh, it's okay. I don't really consider it work, but the fact that, you know, I'm, I don't get paid for the podcast, but, uh, you know, it's just opened so many doors for me. Just, just doing, the podcast and trying to sort of add value and it goes back to the free work thing that you said and it's not you can't quantify it but i've just had so many opportunities uh you know introductions and and just my network has grown so that's awesome uh, could you yes. really quickly tell like one of your favorite connections that you made that you're comfortable t- t- uh talking about um yeah, sure. So, well, not, it, this is this is not really a connection, but this is a, a direct byproduct of of the show. I uh, be, about three months into it, in around Aprilish, I was connected to uh, to the Forbes editor here in Asia, who loved the show, and uh, they agreed to have me come on as a contributor. Uh, and so I, I write weekly based on lessons learned from my podcast guests. Um, it's all sort of investing, more entrepreneurial lessons, but some investing. And, um, you know, that just kind of opened a, a further set of doors, uh, you know, as far as authority building and trust building and credibility. And so uh, that's a very sort of direct uh, byproduct. And it would never have happened if I didn't just one day set up a mic and say, uh, hey, I want to start a podcast. Let's do it. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's probably the clearest sort of uh, you know, immediate benefit, which, again, it's not, you know, um, it's not monetized or getting paid or anything like that. But it's it's just worked out, you know, so uh, that's awesome, man. I mean, and you've interviewed. Gosh, I mean, I'm looking at it now. You've done 64. You interviewed Kevin Kelly. I mean, yes, yeah, you've, you've had an impressive lineup. Yeah, I've been fortunate. So, uh Again, man, it's it all happened uh, with you at the very beginning. <laughs> so, scrambling at that last weekend, yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. It's been really fun catching up, man. Uh, best of luck and uh, yeah, sure. take care, man. Thanks, Jay. All right, talk to you later. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer. 
J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.